Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning, Elliott Accountants, and Business Advisors. With us in studio once more, we have our BIV colleague, Patrick Lenner-Hassett. Glad you keep coming back. I I enjoy the punishment. <laughs> it's endless. I'm a masochist. I'll just say it. I okay. love it. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you, you like us enough. That you'll put yourself through this, though, Patrick. It's a razor thin, like sort of majority, razor thin thing. So yeah. Okay. okay. So we're on I go back and here. forth. I go back and forth. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we like it when you come in. You can tell us about the stories you're working on, and you're working on one related to transportation. Yeah. So I've been given the uh, transportation beat for the year in review uh, for business in Vancouver. So I'm going to pre plug. Uh, my story, which is coming out late in December, but I've sort of started doing the interviews and uh, I got to talk to Lon LeClaire, who's the director of transportation for the city of Vancouver and really interesting guy, really uh, intelligent guy. And he's been with the city for a very long time. So he has a sort of good scope and perspective. So we had a really long conversation. I think it was about 45 minutes, the interview, and we talked about everything in terms of transportation. We ran over it all. So what, were, were can, there like bits? What's something that really maybe kind of surprised you or something you weren't expected to hear from him? Well, I, personally for me, I had no idea that the uh, Broadway subway line extension uh, is a two-phase plan and the second phase is to go to UBC. I thought that that was just a rumor. Like that's a legitimate thing is that within 10 years, they want to start to uh, plan and, uh, you know, expand it past Arbutus. If the original extension goes through and all that, it is going to one day run all the way out to UBC. So quite uh, the the gap that they're filling, because I, yeah. I do recall my old university days uh, living at home with my parents in Surrey. And commuting all the way out to UBC every day and commuting back every day. Yeah. That's a long commute. That It was a, a complete <laughs> nightmare. I think back to, you know, when I was teenage Tyler going to university and I I, I want to grab myself by the lapels and, and, and shake my younger self as if it was uh, uh, Johnson versus Pearson or something like that. But uh, I... I I have to say, this would, I think, really transform UBC to a significant degree. They're one of the biggest employers in the region as well. Yeah. So think about just transporting the sheer number of students as well as people that work over there. Also, just launching more, say, university uh, spinoffs as well. That's going to be much easier to do just by connecting this university is essentially out in the middle of nowhere. Like that, let's be honest. It, it is as far as kind of uh, close, being close to Vancouver. This is really out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and, and my initial reaction is SFU has their hands up, going, "What about us?" Because they're the exact opposite way up on Burnaby Mountain, and it doesn't look like they're going to get anything anytime. There's talks about like a gondola, like a gondola for, up, yeah. The, yeah, up the mountain. I don't know if that would help, but I would go <laughs> just for the fun of being. For the Being ride? Up a gondola. Yeah. 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 That's just <laughs> You think of the connectivity that that would, like you talk about UBC being an employer. Um, I, I feel like, I don't want to say it'll give them an unfair advantage, but I mean, we're not a one horse university town anymore. SFU has its downtown campus, which has done really well. SFU Surrey. Kwantlen's opening up in Surrey. You've got, uh, you know, BCIT's done quite well in terms of specialized skills. What do you think would be a more equitable arrangement? 
I personally, uh, you know, as somebody who's thinking of going to UBC, I think it would be great if they could build it tomorrow. That'd be great for me. But you love those toga parties, don't I you? Tell, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it just seems like it's a bit of favoritism. And I understand because UBC is Vancouver's sort of synonymous university. And there's a lot of jobs out there and it's sort of makes sense because it's also a major corridor. There's a lot of people who live in sort of that West Vancouver area, Kitsilano, that can go the other way as well. So I'm not, I'm not trying to play favorites because I am an alumnus, but I would just say from a transportation uh, perspective, SFU is far more central within the region, whereas yeah. UBC is, like I said, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It, it's almost as far to the west as you can really get aside from say the the north shore so i I think just from a transportation issue it kind of makes sense that they want to have like rapid transit all the way out there i think the problem is is that if you look at the major sort of subway lines in major cities they're they're not like vancouver at all like i'm trying to think maybe london tokyo it's a spider web so it runs out and it runs in a circular kind of pattern where basically you get on at one station and you can pretty much just circumnavigate the entire city. Um, They've done that with the SkyTrain line where you can hop on it. And if you wanted to, you could loop all the way around Burnaby and all the way back. But I don't think anybody does that. But you think about UBC, that line just runs out pretty much to the middle of nowhere. You're either going to UBC or you're not getting on that SkyTrain. So that's the other thing is that there's no community past UBC um, there's no loop on that train where you could say loop around West Vancouver or North Vancouver or anything like that. So I don't want to say it's a dead end track, but it's definitely like a one horse track. That's for sure. Yeah. So. I mean, when you look at the footprint of Vancouver in the downtown core, it's very small compared to yeah. London or something yeah, yeah. like that. Right. We, it wouldn't make sense. You can almost walk the downtown core from Yaletown to Waterfront the, if yeah. you the wanted to. Right. Geography is also very different. And uh, downtown Vancouver is essentially on like a peninsula. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost an island pretty much. So you can't ever really have that spider web sort of format that we have in, say, London. Yeah, I mean, obviously, geographically, we're pretty hampered given where we are. But I just think it's interesting is that we have, we kind of have, seem to be developing this blast radius SkyTrain lines where we're just shooting lines out from a kind of centralized area, which is. Not really what you would want to do if you were sort of laying out a city, but obviously, you know, we're on planet Earth and nothing's perfect. So, yeah, things like that evolve. UBC has been a pretty big driver, too, of growth and bringing in talent and research. It's sort of in a league of its own. Yeah, I, 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 it's tough to sort of say it's not a good idea because I think, you know, universities have obviously proved themselves to be. Uh, great employers, great for, you know, students, great for jobs, great for everything. They're recession proof. So, you know, eh, you couldn't, you probably couldn't pick a better place if you're going to run it to somewhere than UBC. So, Well, Patrick, what else is catching your eye when it comes to kind of transportation issues that affecting a lot of people here in the region? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think like we could talk a little bit more about um, the Broadway subway line because there's some interesting things that I talked to Lon LeClaire about um, with the city of Vancouver. And one of the things that he mentioned was the city, he, you know, he was really candid. He was like, look, we didn't do a good job with the Canada line. Um, construction was a mess. We heard a lot of businesses. 
Um, but we want to learn some lessons about how to do it better. And I don't know if you guys remember like the Canada line running through there, sort of rushing to get it built before the Olympics. There's literally it was a uh, disaster, right? Creating cracks in the yeah. foundations of, of some of these businesses along Canby. Yeah. And it was like, uh, I, you know, businesses were shut out for long periods of time. Like there's just no way to access them on sidewalks in, in any well, practical way, you know, yeah. it, it was, yeah, I agree. It was a mess. So I think what he said was that um, we want to do it right this time and they want to focus on the businesses along that route that might be hampered by the construction. Um, I, I, the sentiment I got from him was that he doesn't have a lot of sympathy for the people driving on that route that are going to be pushed around and stuff like that. I think his main concern is making sure that the local communities don't contract and suffer when that subway line is sort of coming through their area does he so, want to encourage people to get out of their cars already like say you know hop on transit or, or yeah find kind of carpooling options we didn't talk about that specifically but i'm sure that the city sort of got some idea about increasing bus ridership on that route to sort of say hey you know get out of your car get on a bus or anything like that but it's great that they want that to happen but is yeah. it even practical at this point when we see how congested the 99b line is oh and yeah sometimes you can't even get on no you just gotta no. wait you know and, and well how, how many, for another full bus. Well, it's like even the, yeah, exactly. Like you can go wait for like three buses or something. Yeah. And the people are pressed against the windows, and it's all foggy, and it's like it looks like a dance club inside. <laughs> yeah, it's like with unhappy people. Yeah, we were talking about like worst travel experiences. I would take traveling like through an airport airline any day over being on a really cramped yeah. bus for a fraction of the amount of time. When it's raining outside. Right, and or like, muggy and warm. Well, it's just kind of like, it, it kind of smells like um, dogs. Like, yeah. You notice that? It's got like kind of that wet doggy smell. Mm -hmm. like, that wet people slash dog smell. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. okay. I, I just, it, but it's, I I think it's kind of tough to just kind of move these people out of cars and into transit. I'm not saying that's what the, that, that's the city of Vancouver's definitive plan or anything like that. But I... I don't know. I, I don't know what, what congestion is going to be like on the uh, that Broadway corridor while this construction is going to be taking place. And I, I think, look, if they're aiming to kind of retain that community, the the, the business uh, community as well, yeah, I, I think that's a smart idea. But man, congestion! I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we could look at some of the things that the city is looking to do to alleviate congestion. I don't know. Do you guys want to talk yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. Fair pricing, we've got bike lanes, we've got all that kind of jazz. I, you know, you and I were both cyclists, yeah. uh, Patrick. I, I gave up my car. It, it's good. It's crazy to me to think about this three years ago in February. Wow. And I really hmm. haven't missed it that much. It's I've gotten around the city fine. If I need to get a ride to, say, Langley, I, I can uh, bum a ride off my sister or my girlfriend. And I, it's worked out for me. Uh, what's the city, what's the city's approach going to be when it comes to cycling in the future though? So talking to Lon, uh, was really interesting because he sort of, uh, I was like, you know, what's, what's the deal with biking? What are you guys trying to do? You know, how are you trying to get more people out on the road and all this type of stuff? And how are you trying to make it safer? And he said that their main driver is that they've done tons of polls and this is something that's been pulled around the world is that the reason people don't bike is because they're scared. They're worried about getting hit by a car. 
So they don't want to bike and they think that it's less safe when in actual fact, you're more likely to get in a car accident than you are to get into a bike Tyler accident. Tyler is staring me but down. She, she's Does Haley the, have a, a she's thing the driver on this? here. I am. So. Oh, Haley's here. the driver that's going to hit us. So. I can. Oh, well, no. Are, are I'm you, a good well, driver. A, Haley, A, are you afraid of cycling? And B, do you hit cyclists in your car? Okay, I'm going to start with B and say no. I have never, nor do I intend Rather to defensive of you, but okay. hit a cyclist. Though I will say, as a driver, I actually am concerned about that because mm. there are a lot of bad drivers on the roads, but there are also a lot of cyclists that, you know, maybe feel a little invincible or assume that these drivers, yeah, yeah. good and bad, will watch out for them. And it makes me so afraid for them. Uh, I've not felt... Invincible since I got in that accident with that car that cut yeah. me off and I went flying. I actually like uh, dented my helmet and was badly injured. And um, I that sense of invincibility has since dissipated from me. There you go. But I yeah, roundabouts, everything. I could rant about it all the time. <laughs> I'm so afraid of uh, hitting a cyclist, especially on days like today where it's gray and dark outside. Uh, and what was the first question? Am I afraid Are, to be a well, cyclist? What's holding you back from uh, taking up more cycling? Convenience. Yeah. Um, we do things like we're on TV. I know it's not an excuse necessarily because you do bike into work sometimes, but if I were to bike into work, I would not look TV ready. So that's okay. a concern as well. And I like the convenience. I have family spread out throughout the lower mainland. I don't have many people to bum rides off of. So it's me that ships my friends Aww. and loved ones around the You're region. You're the driver driving other people. I, yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. You, you say convenience. One of the things that I hate most about driving and that I love that I don't have to worry about it anymore is parking. I think parking is just so stressful. Yeah. I'll just circle blocks. Uh, I remember just a, maybe two, three weeks ago, I was going to a concert and got there, I don't know, downtown, 738 o'clock at night. Just had to circle blocks forever just to find like a parking spot on the street. Yeah. It's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know, to me, it's more convenient like to cycle everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I... Just moved to Vancouver to like a year ago or so. So I was commuting from Surrey and I never would have entertained taking transit to commute to work. That would have been way too long. Uh, you know, I felt okay, but I felt the same way when like years and years ago, I moved from Surrey to Vancouver as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I had that kind of transition period where like there's no way I could entertain giving up my car. Since I did it, I mean, my life is, uh, yeah. it's better for me yeah. personally, though. But what, what, yeah. where do you come down on the argument? I mean, you're a cyclist too there, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. I think, okay, what we'll do is I want to talk briefly about sort of the story of cycling in Vancouver. And I think the story is the Adnac route. And oh, yeah. that's the route that runs basically from sort of the east side, so East Vancouver and all the way up to Burnaby. And it cuts into downtown. And what Lon said from the city of Vancouver is that they have, I've been, I've been driving that route for, or biking that route for years now. And every couple of months, I noticed new signage, new traffic calming. Um, so they've really sort of made that, identified that as almost like a highway. Because if you're there in the morning from like eight to nine, and it's relatively decent weather, or it's like five to six or four to six, I mean, there are tons of bikes on that route, right? And it's expanding to the point where they're saying, um, you know, uh, just, uh, just past the tracks on Venables, and then also on Victoria, they basically put in a crossing for the bikes and kind of told the cars to go shove it. Like basically you're getting the, the right of way now over a car on that route. So 
they've pretty much identified that as a, a real main artery into downtown Vancouver. And they've said, we're going to make this a bike lane at the, uh, at the, you know, the non-benefit of the driver. Like if when you're coming down uh, sort of this area past Venables and it turns on to Union, um, you used to be able to drive through there where that uh, ice cream shop is, but now you can't drive through there at all unless you're on a bike. Like the bike lane has cut literally through mm. a, a traffic, uh, what was once a, a place to drive. So yeah. um, I think that's is really that indicative interesting. of like you think broader trends that could come to be with maybe other bike lanes throughout the city? I, I just, I, I'm trying to think of like another apt comparison for like another bike lane, maybe the one on 10th Avenue going yeah to uh like say commercial drive all the way out to ubc um, i think or not not ubc but uh kitsilano yeah i think what lon was saying is basically like we've identified these routes and they're tried and tested and people love them so we're basically just going to say these are bike routes first and they're for drivers second and i think that's a really interesting way to approach it because it's basically saying look if you get on your bike we're going to do everything we can to make this route that you go on as a daily commuter a lot safer so but Patrick, you're in the unique position. Are, are you not entertaining the idea of also getting a, a car at this point? You, you've been off the car for a while. Are, I do. Are, are I, you thinking about it again? I recently bought a car, actually. Ah, okay. Join the dark side. I join. Well, now it's two against <laughs> well, one. Well, uh, here's the problem is my car sits out there for like we, a week or two at a time yeah. sometimes. Because the only time I use it is to drive myself to hockey because I can't basically bike to hockey so. well why not like car to go or something like yeah, that yeah it's i i think about that but the problem is like i've got to be there at a certain time i've got a whole bunch of gear with me you don't and, want to stress about being able to yeah find car i have to go to it. north fan or burnaby and park okay. and all that stuff sure. so i just bought a car and i use it every once in a while but like it's 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 amazing how little i i use it even after buying it well there's stats i'm gonna mangle the stats but it, suffice it to say um the amount of time spent actually using a car versus the time it's spent just sitting there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Let's say it's maybe you use a car 5%. I think it's actually less than that. Yeah. So it's just, and that's another why reason why they're talking a lot about autonomous vehicles. If you have like Uber or Lyft, uh, just having these driverless vehicles that circle around the cities at all times, it's going to clear up a lot of, say, parking. Um, people don't need to purchase vehicles anymore. You just they rent it out for the 15 minutes it takes for you to get from your home to downtown. Um, and uh, it'll help out with congestion as well. It's interesting you mentioned parking. So uh, Lon and I did talk about parking. And this is a, a fascinating subject because there's a lot of, you, you talked about the stress of parking. And Lon said there's a lot of behavioral economics with parking. People don't like paying for parking. They don't like parking when it's not free. They get stressed out that their car is going to get towed. I mean, this is, is a, this le- yes, this yes. is a legitimate yeah. All thing. The time. Like, this is yeah. like, and when your things, your meter is going to run out and you're running back, like they say one of the most uh, mundanely annoying things is getting a parking ticket. Like it literally just ruins your day type thing. So yeah, well, there um, are hefty fines too. Yeah. And that's the other thing. So uh, Lon was talking about how they're trying to make um, parking a bit more, I want to say breathable. So it kind of breathes in and out with the city. Uh, so certain areas at night, let's say, for example, downtown in Yaletown, where you have a lot of parking, a lot of restaurants where people will go at night. 
you make uh, parking there a little bit less expensive. And then during the day, it's it's more expensive. Um, and you think of other areas where parking during the day is sort of a lot more uh, common. But what he said that really, really stuck with me is that um, if they try to increase rates anywhere, people pick up on that right away and they don't park there. So they can't seem to increase revenue from parking. So he was saying if we make $50 million a year on parking and we identify five spots where people are always parking and there's always somebody there and we even raise those rates just a little bit, he's like parking there goes down Uh and it reaches an equilibrium. And I thought this was fascinating. So this goes to show how sensitive people are to parking in very specific areas. And if they notice a rate hike increase there, they will go out of their way on a daily basis just to not to park there. So, Well, because you know that there is likely free parking to be had. Exactly. Even even if there isn't, you sort of trick yourself into thinking that there is, right? Like if you're going to be paying however much more per hour. You want to believe there is. You want to believe, yeah. It's in shorter supply, we'll say that. But I just, it's a fascinating study in behavioral economics because if you look at this, unless you're parking on a daily basis, which a lot of people, like let's say you have to work in downtown and you have to drive in or something like that, you're going to get a monthly pass somewhere and you're just going to eat that cost and it's going to be fine. But they talk about how much people spend on, actually spend on parking outside of say a regular parking pass or residential parking pass. It's a very small percentage of what people would actually sort of say like this is something that people over like overblown it's overblown in their mind how much they spend on parking and how much it affects their life so <laughs> i think it's it's nice to see that the city of vancouver has recognized that people have a lot of uh you know i want to say stress when it comes to thinking about parking and parking so it's nice to see that the city might be kind of on our side when they're not taking our money so you'd hope you'd hope we yeah. hope you know well, we can continue the transportation conversation after the break because we actually have a couple of sort of transportation related news stories to dissect patrick are you gonna hang around with us yeah all right all okay. right <laughs> twist your arm Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604 614-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out online at manningelliot.ca. We have good news of relating to Uber. It's coming to Vancouver, but it's Uber Eats. So you won't be able to (laughs) hail a ride for yourself, but you can hail one for your food. Will either of you use it when it comes? Probably not. I I don't do these food delivery services at all. I'm... I live in a neighborhood where I I like walking around. And yeah. So I'll order something. I'll go pick it up. And um, I don't know. I, I do know a lot of people that do these kinds of services. But I think from just kind of a business perspective, I think Uber's being smart here. They know they can't operate as a ride-sharing service. So why not build up the brand in the city, uh, recruit drivers? Uh, I, I think that's a very important thing that they're doing right now with this. Yeah. 
Um, but I also think about people's last experience with Uber Eats uh, here in Vancouver. Do you remember the whole ice cream fiasco? <laughs> if you ask oh, yeah, 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 yeah. People didn't get their ice cream that Uber had promised them. And the company that was supposed to supply it, uh, they said, oh, wait a minute. We didn't know there's all this weird sexual harassment going on at uh, Uber. Um, we don't want to have anything to do with them now. And th- this all happened, I think, during the course of like one day. Yeah, the, the hashtag t- went from like Uber ice cream to Uber <laughs> ice cream fail in like a matter of hours and was trending. So yeah, it wasn't good PR at all. I'm actually in, uh, I want to say negotiations to talk to Uber's PR person from Toronto who's coming out here. They're being sort of repped a bit by national PR. So I don't know if you guys would have any direct questions you would ask Uber specifically if you could talk to them or not. Um. Their their media policy is has always been interesting. I'll yeah. say that. Um, but maybe we can talk uh, after this wraps about uh, some specific pointed questions that I think would be yeah, yeah. totally valid. Yeah, I know Uber's been pretty bold about wanting to come to this market. Of course, the last major market in Canada and North America that does not have ride hailing. I agree with you, Tyler. I think it's smart that they're coming in here. I mean, Uber Eats is not the end goal here. It's establishing the brand, getting drivers, as you say. The food delivery service is already quite competitive. But again, it's not about Uber Eats, about Uber. Uber Eats might not be the end goal, but uh, based on the pace at which we see, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the both the last government and this current government moving on this particular portfolio, Uber Eats might be unintentionally the end goal. We'll, there you we'll go. have to see. Maybe you'll have people like insisting that they accompany the driver to the restaurant or something <laughs> sure. like that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Order a meal, yeah, and come pick me up and I'll help you, something like that. Anyway, what other business use is catching your eye? Well, uh, Aurora Cannabis, they're putting forward a hostile takeover bid for Medican Therapeutics, uh, upwards of uh, $580 million. Uh, this is huge. I think the best way to kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, think of it is the big brewers like Molson coming in and uh, buying up all the small craft breweries. And essentially, we're seeing a lot of consolidation going on in this industry. Uh, Vancouver-based Aurora, if this complete, if it completes an acquisition, it's going straight to the investors now after it was rebuffed by the uh, managers of Medican. Uh, it would essentially have, I think, uh, it'd be within striking distance of canopy growth with regards to market hmm. cap as well. Hmm. We're, we're seeing kind of like this emergence of kind of a big three sort of network of uh, cannabis producers. And these guys are, look, they've got things figured out at this point uh, when they're licensed. They're going to be ahead of the game when uh, legalized recreational marijuana. I mean, right now they are uh, medical suppliers. So when rec marijuana you know, comes out, I, they're going to be ahead of the game making a lot of money. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, the kind of dogfight go on between all these big guys and how they're gobbling up a lot of the smaller so-called craft cannabis uh, producers. Yeah. I think it's a it'll be a good case study to watch because especially in Vancouver, the marijuana industry was sort of built on the small business mentality. And now with legalization coming in, you're going to get a lot of bigger companies who are going to try to swallow up a lot of these smaller companies. And I want to say the average pot shop owner has a certain social lean that might be anti-capitalist. So you could have a like a war on your hands here in Canada you, between small and, and big companies. You know what? I, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but if you look at who owns, say, the dispensaries or who owns a lot of the uh, 
the production facilities, uh, I, I, I don't want to mangle, again, I, I'm worried about mangling this, but it, it's almost primarily dominated by a select number of corporations. Yeah. It, it's not really these mom and pa operations that are, you know, kind of running things at this point. So we're already seeing kind of this corporate domination of the cannabis industry very, very early on into its lifespan. Well, there's always been that sort of stat that's made its way around the rumor mill that marijuana has always been our biggest export for years. It's just always been off the books. So now that we're going to get it on the books, I'm honestly, I'm I'm not necessarily fascinated to see what happens when we legalize marijuana. I'm fascinated to see a couple of years down the line when the numbers start to roll in, because then you're going to actually see what the legitimate impact of legalized marijuana is going to have on the economy. And that's sort of the, there's always this number out there that it's like a billion dollars worth of export revenue for BC and it's all legal. So even though we're not going to be, you know, exporting it cross border anymore, uh, I wonder what that number is going to be like for BC. Like what's the final tabulation. That's what I'm fascinated to see. So, yeah, I, think it's fair to say we're probably in the dark about what that might be because you still have to figure out retail distribution, yeah. how it's going to be sold, how it's going to be taxed in BC. It'll be interesting for sure. Well, I think we're going to wrap it there. Patrick, as always, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. And if anyone wants to connect with you, where can they go? You can just Google my name. I'm all over the <laughs> internet. I can't help nice it. Nice and easy. Yeah. We're all over it. All right. And Tyler, what about you? Yeah, you can find my stories at BIV.com or else find me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And you can say hi to me on Twitter at Haley Wooden. And that's it for our BIV podcast this week. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and business advisors for more podcasts, radio clips, more business news, head on over to BIV.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next time.